Hello, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my cybernetically enhanced co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Uh, better than I thought, apparently. <laughs> was, you know, man, cybernetic enhancement, that'd be great. Uh, <laughs> one my, body's a, my body's a rotting pi- pile of nothing. I definitely would take some replacement parts. We are slowly burning alive from the inside out from the moment we are born and take our first breath. But beyond that, uh, we are going to be talking about, well, if you haven't guessed, uh, a little bit of game that is not actually Blizzard related. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do, and we talked about doing this before, and we put it out there to you, our listeners, and it was something you definitely uh, encouraged us to do, uh, which was cover games that aren't Blizzard related. There's a ton of games out there that have really deep lore, great story, and Honestly, Matt and I, we tend to be drawn to those types of games. So getting a chance to talk about some of them, especially when they're some of our favorites, is just wonderful. And so we're going to do that today. And if you hadn't guessed, we're going to be talking about uh, probably one of Matt's largest obsessions in the recent decade uh, and one of mine as well. We're going to be talking about Cyberpunk 2077 today. Uh, This actually comes at the behest of one of our Patreon supporters, Adele who mentioned to us that they just finished their playthrough of Cyberpunk 2077. We're getting ready for another playthrough of it uh, and really wanted to like kind of dive into it and get some of the, the more deeper parts of it so that they had a better understanding of the game, the lore and the world itself. Uh, Adele was not the only person that suggested this. We did get many Twitter comments uh, and as I got a few DMS, I'm sure Matt probably got a few messages as well. Uh, But we're going to be talking about that today. So before we get started, I guess, I'm going to ask the one question that I hope everybody knows the answer to, but if not, maybe Matt can fill us in. And that is what is cyberpunk? So for framework, what is the cyberpunk genre? Okay. If we're talking the genre, there's, I don't think, I think the thing that to me encapsulated the genre in real life, the most in the past 10 years was finding out that people are jailbreaking their tractors. Yeah. Because tractors nowadays, when you buy a John Deere tractor, it comes with very elaborate software. That you're leasing. That you're leasing. You're not bu- you don't own it. Cyberpunk is about taking that kind of thing to the extreme. Taking it as far as you can. Sh- using it to show the tenuousness of our very identity, of our humanity. It's like, what, what happens to you when, we, when the world is unchecked? When capitalism and invention invention and you know machinery all just go as far as they can mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different kinds of cyber like philip k dicks do android's dream of, Elect- of electric sheep is a very different book than say neuromancer which which is itself a very different thing from the matrix movies and to give context uh, for the books if you haven't read them if you want to look at something that was based off of them you could look at blade runner yeah, the movie Blade Runner. The movie Blade which Runner. Which the movie Blade Runner is very different from Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is its inspiration, but it's a very different story. Um, but it's still a cyberpunk it, dystopia. It's still a cyberpunk dystopia. But n- the interesting thing about cyberpunk is it doesn't necessarily have to be even be a dystopia. Sure. The, the 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 fact that it's called cyberpunk is basically the same as if you have a form of music that's called something punk. Mm-hmm. Um, the punk aspect is the independent rejection of order and of rules and rigid strictures it's basically about the people that are reacting to a world that is ever more dogmatic ever more controlled ever more owned by the one percent or in this case i think they even call it the point zero zero one percent yep 
and it's about the people who like, you know, it's one of the things I've always thought interesting about the genres. It's, it's that concept of, you know, DIYing it. It's, it's, you know, okay. The, 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 the dystopia is here and I'm going to like put a robot gun in my arm to deal with this. It's, it's very much the reason that I mentioned the John Deere thing where they jailbreak their tractors. It's going out there and doing the thing. You don't have the money to go in and, and, fight on the level of the corporations that are holding you down so you it's asymmetrical mm-hmm. you know you you exist between them you take jobs po- possibly from them but also possibly against them to generate a life that you can live but it's all about living in the margins it's about that punk spirit and that's always found that really fascinating and really interesting depending on like look at books like zodiac mm-hmm. versus i mean there's just so many the different ways to do the genre um, Zodiac is one of Neil Stevenson's bestest books, uh, one of his earliest ones too. It's very different from, say, or even his own Snow Crash, which is also a yeah. cyberpunk story. Yep. Um, and both of those are very different from anything that William Gibson ever wrote. Uh, it, if you look at the Expanse books, they kind of they edge into cyberpunk, um, although they also have the space stuff in them, which not all cyberpunk has. There's also it, a- it's just. I was going to say, there's also an element of existential dread into it as well. And that's oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, but not in sort of like, oh, I exist and therefore everything is awful. That that's sort of like a given for sort of like that sort of uh, setup. But it's also no, there's, yeah. there's also the, there's this continuous uh, cycle of I don't like this about myself. I'm going to replace it with something else. And, and also, I think one of the things that I mentioned earlier was this idea of identity. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> In a cyberpunk story, it's often there's often a, an element of you know Joe mentioned the replacing of parts of yourself because you don't like them or you want to perform better. Sometimes you're commodifying your body in a way that takes well beyond what we've got now with plastic surgery into like you know I want to be a chrome skinned you know warrior angel sort of stuff. But there's more than that is that idea of who who are you in the first place? Are you your memories? Are you your thoughts? What if we can edit your memories? What if we can change your thoughts? Are you still you? It's like the ship of Theseus with your your, your very existence. Mm-hmm. How much can we take away and still your you? If I've replaced all of your skin with nanopolymer, if I've replaced all of your bones with titanium calcite, calcite structures, if all of your muscles are these myomer, you know, everything that you have is either mechanical, robotic, or you know, vat grown, not, not, not your original flesh. At what point are you still you? We've even got implants in your brain mm-hmm. that are taking over the the function of oh. your brain. And, you know, in, in some just, of the, in some of them, you are connected to the neural network itself. Like there are implants yeah. that they will put into the base of your skull that allow you to access things like the net from your brain. And you mm-hmm. are always connected. Like if you've yeah. ever, not to, not to make light of it, but if you've seen the episode of Futurama, where Fry is having that dream about, I think it's like atomic underwear or something like that, uh, and he, you know, wants to go buy it immediately. It's because they're advertising to his dreams. Now imagine a world where that's constantly happening, where like you see an augmented reality overlaid over everything, like this matrix overlaid over what is actual reality. When do mm-hmm. you stop seeing reality? When? When? How can you differentiate between what's being piped into your brain directly? Uh, are you still yourself? Are you still who you started out to be? Um, that's, it's a very core concept of it. There's a whole idea going back into Descartes and the cogito ergo sum, you know, I think therefore I am 
if that's the case, then what you think makes you what you are. Mm -hmm. And if other people can control what you think, if they can make you think things, then are you you anymore? At what point do you stop? Um, And that's a big part of Cyberpunk 2077. Ultimately, the flashy, you know, the, the cool cyberware and the flashy, you know, all that stuff, that's there to be cool. I mean, let's face it, you know, it's there to look good and be, and be fun to play, Mm -hmm. but it's not the meat of the story. The story is about identity. The story is about losing your identity, losing who you are. And at what point do you become somebody else? And and the idea that, you know, we are always all becoming someone else all the time, but this is taking it like, it's like an objective correlative. The, this, the use of cyberware is very much about that story especially in this game, which is really focused on that. That, that, that is the core of the storytelling experience. Um, and I definitely recommend if you're going to play it, that you play all of the paths. I would agree with that. Yes. This is um, one of, this is one of those games where like a lot of people seem to claim where there are three origin paths that you can start with. Um, and some people claim that it doesn't make a difference to, to the experience, but I posit that it actually does. And it does it in such a way uh, that Matt's pointing out. Uh, where your chosen starting point begins the framework for your existence and therefore your struggle and journey throughout. It does mm-hmm. affect some of your relationships. It does ref- uh, re- uh, affect some of your interactions and it does affect some of the quest outcomes and story outcomes that you can experience. It is absolutely important um, regardless of everything coming to the same point uh, which is trying to not to jump too far ahead, but I mean, it's cyberpunk. You're trying to take down the man essentially is what it boils to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm uh, paraphrasing. Let me put it this way. Um, I would say that 90% of the game is the same. If you like, no matter what path you pick, mm-hmm. but that 10% that isn't the same contextually changes the story you just experienced yep. because a different person experienced it. And there are like, like Joe said about story that there's, dialogue options that are unique there's story stuff that you only you can do if you're like from this particular group um but more even than that is playing it twice or three times playing Mm -hmm. it once for every life path lets you see different angles of the world around you so that you would not experience just because uh someone who's like you use one example to someone who is a corpo which is someone who was working in the corporate world and then got um downsized for lack of a better term you will never have seen Haywood as a child. Mm-hmm. You did not grow up there. You did not experience it. You come from money. You come from privilege. And that changes the way your character will think and act. And and it's, it is really well realized here. I, I think this would actually be a really good point to kind of explain the three different origins. So there are three different origins that set the framework for your experience in Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, and I'll just start with one and then you can, we'll go, we'll go through it. But like, the first one is the nomad and the nomad is the nomads are a group of, of folks that live at the fringes of uh, civilization for lack of a, they live in giant caravans and they sort of uh, have their own way of doing things outside of the city. They'll take jobs in the city. They'll go to the city, um, but they don't live there. And this is sort of an important thing because the city is as much of a character and is as important to all of these stories and origins as it, as you are. Um, so being that nomad and you're starting there, you are in almost like a desert area. You're in a small town, you're living off of whatever you can find. And you have more of a sense of family 
I think, than the other sort of origins. Because when you are part of that nomad group, they call themselves a family. They're a clan. They band together. They work together. Sometimes they fight together. Uh, sometimes they fight internally. But it is sort of important because it contextualizes your understanding of what it's like to be a part of something bigger and at a more familiar level than some of the other ones. Uh, what am I missing on that one? Well, when you start as a nomad, your character has just left their clan. Yep. And as a result, your character is looking for something to replace that relationship, which I think it basically informs everything that V does. V is the character, male or female. V is what they call you. Um, v is looking for, you know, a purpose, something to do or be, or some something to replace what they've lost. And I think it's really interesting that they basically take the first hand that's ever held out to them, mm -hmm. which is Jackie. And Jackie becomes important. We'll talk about Jackie later. But I think otherwise you've pretty much nailed the nomad experience. It's basically about being outside, not just being outside Night City, but being outside society. Like there's a society... That's not that different from the one we have. It's different, but it's not super different. It doesn't like, it feels like you take what, everything we've got today and you just magnify it. You, you make the corporations even worse. You make, you know, society very much focused on materialism and gain. And you have a whole lot of people who are dispossessed and, and helpless. But the nomads are outside of it. They look in on it, but they're not really part of it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that outsider status means that when you come to Night City... I think in a way, the Nomad is the, is the easiest path to play for a first-time player. I would agree. Because as you come into the game, you're just as, as outside of it as your character is. You don't know anything about Night City, and neither does your character. So I would say that for, for like ease of beginning, if you are starting this game and you've never played it before, and you're just looking to just get in and go, Nomad's a really good starting option. Now, the other one from that is Street Kid. And what a Street Kid is, is, well, you can probably guess from the name, you're used to growing up in the spaces in between inside of the city, inside of Night City itself. Uh, you're used to fights, illegal activity. You're used to forging and breaking camaraderie bonds with those that are also living in that same predicament. You don't have a stable life. Uh, you are basically working your way through grifting as you can, working for the next job, working for the next steal, trying to make sure that you have enough to eat, clothes on your back, and making a dime wherever you can. And this, sometimes this includes uh, working as hired muscle. Sometimes this includes settling a friend's debt, and that friend might be a bartender uh, that asks you to take care of things for them, and you do it because, well, you just want to drink. You are very used to the sounds of the city in a way that the well-to-do aren't. You are used to the slums. You are used to the run-down, disease-ridden streets. You are used to the the greasy smells uh, of the food vendor stalls that that line these sort of like gutter-filled alleyways. And you are not uh, you're not unfamiliar with waking up next to a dead body because your friend happened to pass in the night. And you're used to not having anything, but you are familiar with the city. The city is your playground, more for lack of a better word. And it's your ecosystem. It's your ecosystem. I think one of the ways I thought I saw someone describe this, and I think it's a really good way to describe it, is imagine you take the modern gig economy mm -hmm. where so many people are, you know, driving their cars to pick up groceries for people and deliver them to their houses. Or so many people are, you know, driving people around. Now imagine if you take that and then you put it in an ecosystem where 
you know, some people need a body disposed of. Some people need, you know, I, I really, one of the ways I really like to think about it is this concept of fixers in the game is mm-hmm. very much based on the idea of decentralized, instead of having an app that tells you what to do, because this is a punk, a cyberpunk experience, the fixers are decentralized. There's no such thing as an overarching industry dominating anything like this that sources workers. It's make connections, know people, those people will tell you where to get more work. And because you are essentially playing a character who is more experienced with things like smuggling and violence, those are the jobs they get. Yep. And it just, that is how it works. And it's really, it's really well done. Um, It's one of the things I really like about how, when, when Mike's Pondsmith came up with his original cyberpunk game all those years ago, he, he, he really razored in on this aspect of cyberpunk, that it is punk, that it is small, it is small scale. It is, you know, just connections and do it yourselfing. And it's the, the same way that at the time people were hacking uh, phone companies by going out into their dumpsters and, and, you know, digging through their papers to, to figure out what the day code was. Mm-hmm. There's this is a similar kind of activity. Um, and the street kid is very much somebody, let's just say it, they're the people who don't have anything. The people who, you know, we deliberately underpay, the people we don't give health care to, the people we let starve, that's who they are. And as in a society that's even worse about that than the one we live in, yeah, they, you know, you either die or you, you do whatever the, you have and, to to live. And the interesting thing about that, too, is it also deals with uh, gang gangs a little bit differently than the other origins as well. So gangs are sort of a big thing in uh, cyberpunk because they're just like real life. Gangs are born out of necessity. Most of their groups of people that band together because to fend for themselves or to create a position of power because they have none. And so as a street kid, you're not necessarily affiliated with any of them, but you're used to dealing with, which is something that a nomad isn't because a nomad doesn't live in the city and the next origin we're going to be talking about doesn't generally deal with them too often, uh, at least not in the same manner. You have sort of a knowledge of how they work. Uh, you have a knowledge of, you know, what sort of like the intergang relationships look like. And it becomes very important when you get to a story beat, at least from what I can I remember, uh, which is I think it's the spaces in between uh, where you literally have to understand how to mimic being a gang member to get inside of a clinic and that option is only available to a street kid because the street kid's the only one with that knowledge. Um, there's a couple mm-hmm. other there's a couple other quests that it, that are really like centralized on that as well. That only a street kid has the knowledge and how to deal with, uh, including knowing how to deal with the police, which is an yeah, interesting. The police, thing. The, the the police in this game are very much. You can have your own opinion on police in, in the modern day, and then I'm not telling you how to believe in it. In this game, they are straight up a cor- an incorporated a entity. Yep. Yeah. And they are essentially just the gang with the most money, the one that is actually run as a business. And that all the and, corporations are paying into because they need them. Yeah. But at the same time, like there's a bit where a couple of cops are talking to you and that one of them is like, yeah, we, I, I knew who was killing those kids, but you know, the corporate, the corporations told us not to investigate. So I had to let it go. Mm-hmm. And that's just what happens. Um, so yeah, the street kid very much is the one who's most able to, to, to deal with that because they understand, okay, 
uh, for a lot of people, the police are just the other gang they join. Uh, and it is, it is really and one of those things that I think is really important to keep in mind is everything that's bad in modern society is amped up to, to like 12 in this game. It, it is really interestingly part of the story. Before I move on to the third origin, I just want to also point out that there's a really cool little thing uh, as far as like an Easter egg goes years ago when the game was first revealed and it was at an E3, I forgot when, 2016 or 2012, uh, 2012, they showed this, this showdown between the cops and a woman who had just murdered somebody who had mantis arms. Uh, and these are the blades that come out of the the back of the forearms as weapons that basically look like legitimately the size of a mantis uh, creature. You can actually, it's a, it's a sort of, this encapsulates this game perfectly when it comes to police. There is a quest that you can find where you run into this character from that trailer and she's a cop now because yep. she's a useful weapon. And so they brought her in, reprogrammed her, and now she works for the corpo cops. Like that is how they operate in a nutshell. And it is a perfect little nod uh, to, to how that works. But the third and final origin that you can pick uh, is the corporate experience. Uh, and you start your game career or your career in this world. You're a corpo. You are at the top of the world. Uh, you are used to dealing with powerful and backstabbing selfish people. Uh, you are essentially at the top of the city. You are not a street kid. You don't have to worry about where you lay your head. You're used to you know, fancy cars, comfortable penthouse suites, expensive meals and drinks, uh, and filling out the paperwork to get rid of dead bodies because you don't do it yourself. And it really does that fall. It's as this one is a fall from grace, right? It's a, you are in a situation where, uh, you are going to fall and you only have one person you can count on, uh, which is your friend, Jackie and all these origins always, it all comes down to Jackie Wells. Um, but it's interesting because you are going through this entire path where you've never been in the gutter. You've never had to worry about that. You've never had to worry about, do I have money for food? Do I have a place to stay? And this is all about sort of that evolving life. And yeah. And to give you an idea, just in the opening scenes, you, you get like a phone call from your personal guru. Uh, who has been monitoring your implants and knows that your you know heart rate and blood pressure have gone up and your serotonin levels have crashed. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, you know, are you okay? Have you been doing the meditation exercise? And you like, it's, it's that tailored. It's a life where you, you know, your stress level is through the roof all the time. Like the, this thing opens with you, you know, being sick in the bathroom while you're on the phone with Jackie. That's how it opens because yes, they have everything. And because they have everything, they're incredibly aware of how easy it will be to lose it. Yep. And keep in mind, this is in real life. The reason that healthcare is linked to corporate to work rather than just a universal right is entirely for the same reason that in cyberpunk 2077, everything is from the company, mm -hmm. your, your, your life, your bank account, everything. The second you fall from grace, it's all gone. The only reason your character has any ability to restart their life in any way is because Jackie points out, Hey, the guy gave you cash to, to arrange this job. And now you've got, still got the cash, you know, you can use that. And it's just fascinating how it takes the, you know, the modern day thing of, you know, my healthcare comes from my company, my dental insurance comes yeah. from my company and 
puts it into everything. Everything comes from the company, and the second you displease them, it's all gone. And, and like, not to 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 take it out of the thing, the context, but this is so spot on that playing as a corpo start experience actually gave me a mild panic attack because it hit so close to home and hit those notes perfectly. Like that is that is how down and dirty is. But yeah, it's interesting because essentially, I think in real life, Joe is closer. Like you've you've at least lived in the corporate world, mm-hmm. although you didn't start there um, because we don't we're not that stratified in real life yet. But I grew up basically on a crap farm, so I'm kind of like kind of nomadish, except we didn't go anywhere. Uh, and so I think that our lived experiences informed it to the point where I started as a nomad and then played. Uh, Corpo last. I think you played Corpo closer I, to the first. I played Cor- I played Corpo first, and I played Nomad last. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not surprised that you had a panic attack with the Corpo thing because, yeah, it, if you've so, ever worked for a company and then you see the scene where your character just has everything taken from them yeah. in like one moment, it's yeah, it's definitely panic inspiring. So I guess a little warning on that one: if you play through the corporate experience, yeah, be prepared. If you if you happen to work for a corporation, that that said. I want to. Oh, oh, I want to really fast. I want to try to like break down some stuff. Uh, we've talked a lot about everybody but V. Yes. Um, v is the character you're playing, and that unlike since since this is a CD Project Red company game, people ass- expected it to be The Witcher. It's not The Witcher. Yeah, it's not a fully fleshed it's, out character like girls. No. Um, you you can pick your gender. You can pick. Um, you can kind of pick whether or not you're trans or cis. That's actually sort of in there. You can pick your sexuality. Um, there's a lot of different stuff you can do. You can obviously control your very customizable. There's a lot of customization options, and it's an interesting customization system where I, it's certainly better than the Mass Effect one because I've started playing Mass Effect again, and holy god, that's terrible. But in terms of lore, what this gives you is the ability to completely control who your character is. Between the life paths and the customization options, you can really design your V. As a result, though, it would be really easy for the game to, to basically leave V as a cipher. And they're not. Uh, depending on, like, I don't know, did you play male or female V? V. as uh, a female. Yeah, me too. Uh, the the voice performance for female V and the the customization that happens from picking a certain life path mm-hmm. means that it doesn't feel generic. It doesn't feel like they're leaving you a cipher to fit the story. It feels like you actually have a lot of stuff because there are specific things you'll say that are rooted in the life that you chose to come from. And V is a really interesting character because they are there's a lot of bravado there. But it is very obviously papered on. Like I think the the idea of get panic is very much a part of this character. Panic and fear drive a lot of what V does up until a certain point in the story. Yeah, and um, and the female V is fo- is voiced by Sharmai uh, Lay. I think I'm does an amazing job. Absolutely phenomenal job. Not that the 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 male voice actor did a, a bad job or anything like that, but she captures the emotion a little bit more. I think in the moment. And that's what kind of did it for me, um, because it was very much in that scene. Whereas the ma- the the male voice actor uh, for V, which I can't remember their name, I think it is Gavin Dre. That's him. Yep. Yeah. That's the guy. The guy from Valerian. I remember that. Um, he adds like almost like an extra layer of bravado on top of what's supposed to be there, so it almost comes across like a very stereotypical. 
I, I hate to say it like this because I don't know if that was the intention. I wasn't in the room when they did this, but it comes across almost like he's trying to be blustery for bluster's effect in a lot of the scene. And maybe that is what they were going for. But the female V just feels more rooted in the moment, which makes it feel like Matt said, less of a cipher and more of a uh, like a fleshed out moment for those characters. Right. So, yeah, I'd never heard of her before this. Um, so I played through the game and was like, wow, that's a really good performance. And then I went and looked her up and not only is it a good performance, it's a massive departure from almost everything else she's ever done. Like if you told me that the person who plays all these anime characters with, with like is doing this voice, I would not have believed you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's very different. Um, although I will say in Gavin Dre's defense, because I do think he actually does. I think he does a good job. He does a good job. It, the, the difference is, is that because he's playing a male character, you were used to seeing male characters in this kind of thing. I would agree. And I think it's the same problem that other games have had. Like I, the one game I comes to mind is actually Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where uh, Alexios is not, it's not a bad performance at all, but it is more predictable because we have seen it so many times. And there's a nuance to the way Dre plays male V that, that is missed at first, but it's right around the time can we? Do you want to just like go through what the heck happens in this game? We need. We, we need have to. Been dancing we, around yeah, it. we we need to. So at this point, we're going to start going into the the sort of for the next half hour, uh, what happens in this game and why the story where the story goes. So Matt, please feel free. Okay, the game starts with those those three life paths that we mentioned. Each one of them introduces you to a, to the life origin of the character and ends up with you and Jackie basically forming a partnership. There is then a lovely montage, and it is a lovely montage. I'm not being sarcastic. I really enjoyed it. Of you coming to Night City with Jackie. You stayed with Jackie and his mom for a while while you were out, you know, stealing things and beating people up and waving guns around. Then you'd come home and you, Jackie's mom would make dinner. And it's it's you get like a real sense of what they're like in a really short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And then you get your own place because nobody wants to live with their friend's mom forever. Uh, so yeah, and they, you see that part and it's actually really telling a V's character that the only part of their apartment that is in any way, shape or form, like kept up or, you know, useful is the part with all the guns in it. Yep. The, the weapons locker that V has built is state of the art you can tell they have pumped a lot of money into it. Everything else is slapdash BS. Um, but so that's, that's all the start. That's the setup. Then you like. You're, you cuts to a job where you and Jackie are going into a scav den and scavs are, it's short for scavenger. Scavs are people who basically kidnap people off the street and rip out all their cyberware. Cyberware is expensive. Yeah. And so there's yeah. a, there's a huge black market for it. Um, and for context scavengers, yes, they do rip it out of people uh, partially for themselves and partially to sell to ripper docks, which are mm -hmm. docks that you can find on the street. Uh, that aren't associated with any of the major corporations, or at least not usually. Uh, and you can pay your hard-earned credits to have them mutilate your body and uh, put different implants or cybernetic upgrades into it. Yeah, and keep in mind, this is all, this is the punk aspect. You're not, this is not going to a expensive clinic somewhere and having them give you top-of-the-line stuff. This is, if you have cyberware in this game, you probably, it, it fell off the back of a truck, which in this case probably means got stolen or taken out of someone's body. And the interesting thing that they don't talk about in this game, but they kind of do, is on the tabletop version, there was something called cyber sickness. And it was, if you had too many implants, you run the risk of poisoning yourself, essentially. And I'm yeah, paraphrasing. And you, see, you see people who are going through it. 
madness it doesn't happen it doesn't happen to you but you have your own problem so basically yeah as i said you go into a scav a scav haunt you bust the place up and you find the person that you were hired to find um she is got a thing stuck in her cyber her her expensive top shelf cyberware that it was not gotten from a ripper dock somewhere but it's very much a corporate situation <clears throat> she's got a little i don't even know what to call it a little shard stuck in her head a disruption that is yeah that is blocking her from getting medical treatment because in this world uh the, the medical treatment comes in the form of uh, tr- trauma team which is its own corporation are, yeah, it's his own corporation. Imagine if instead of an ambulance showing up, a heavily armed ambulance would show up, and anybody who tried to stop them from getting to you would get shot. And the level, but, the interesting thing that they don't talk about too much is there are levels in the game or levels mm-hmm. in the world of whether you have bronze, silver, gold, or platinum coverage with them that determines how quickly they will get to you and what type of force they will give. Yeah, if you have platinum, which this character does, this woman that you're saving does have, uh, they show up almost immediately, like three minutes with a flying ambulance and a and like a, a five team full of super heavily armed paramedics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that happens. You, you get her squared away and then you find out that the island that you live, the, the part of the city that you live on is being closed down. So you have to get back before they, they close it in, which is a, it's a clever way for the game to say, okay, we're going to have a starting zone, Yep. but we want the starting zone to be part of the overall city. So we're going to just, we're going to lock it down until we get through this story beat. And basically your friend Jackie is like, okay, go ahead. I'm going to borrow your car. You go ahead and sleep. And tomorrow we'll talk about some cool thing I got going on for you. And when he comes back, he's like, I've this, this legendary fixer wants to hire us. This is, this is our chance. We, we don't have to take these crap jobs anymore. Now, now one yeah. thing that I should say is that while Matt was right earlier in saying that the fixers are sort of a decentralized location for jobs and information to disseminate, they're not without their reputation. Reputation is everything yep. in Night City. And so certain fixers have a higher reputation for being able to get better jobs because that's true. The better their reputation, the more likely uh, other folks are going to approach them with jobs for people that they associate with. And that is one of these cases where, you know, Jackie's got an in with this. This is going to be the job that changes their lives because this legendary fixer reached out to them, heard about their exploits and has a job lined up for them to sort of almost like a trial run to see if it's something that they would continue to do right. To continue that relationship. Yeah. And this means uh, right up the bat, you have, you have to go meet the client that hired the fixer because they want to meet you and you have to go and get a useful piece of technology from a, from one of the gangs called Maelstrom. And Maelstrom is like the living embodiment of what Joe was talking about with the cyber sickness. Mm hmm. Um, they they get their faces removed and replaced with multiple camera eye multiple lens camera eyes. They don't bother with just two of them. They have like six uh, to the point where they use a, a, a cybernetic spider as one of their symbols because they're that happy that they get modified and they get heavily modified. They're essentially they, trying to become a militaristic uh, force through cybernetic enhancement. Yeah, and they're also trying to like. Imagine taking the transhumanist aspect of, of fiction and, but you're not really smart enough to actually understand it. So you're just kind of trying to brute force your face through it. That's, that's Maelstrom. That's the gang you have to go deal with. And there's the the thing about the story is there's a variety of ways you can do this. Mm -hmm. You can just go straight in and and deal with them fairly. You can, you know, know, pay them what they want to get paid, uh, make the deal, get the robot. And then when things go South, help them 
fight off the people coming in. You can absolutely do that. I never have. Nope. No. I have betrayed them every way I could yep. think of. Um, <laughs> I betrayed them with a with a virus lace card. I betrayed them just by attacking them. Just every way I could think of. Um, and the sto- this is the thing about the story of the game is the story holds up even when you have all this personal choice, mm-hmm. which is really nice and very rare in a game like this. Yeah, it, it's, it really is a testament to the, the story that is actually present in the game where no matter the choice you make, it, it holds up. And Matt's absolutely. Um, but after you deal with Maelstrom and you get your component, you go back and you prove to the fixer that, yes, we can do the job. Look and see. We already got one. And so the agreement is struck and the job is sort of detailed out where you're going to go and what you're going to do and what you're going to use this robot for. And it is for somebody who's not familiar with the world. It's not really that scary of a thing. It's go break into a corporate penthouse, uh, steal this thing and get out. That's what you're being paid to do, uh, which smacks of corporate espionage, because that's one of the things that corporations in this world love to do is hire low down street thugs or runners to go, or in this case, I believe the, the term samurai approach or Ronin would be appropriate uh, to go and do these things that they can't do themselves overtly through an intermediary to sort of cover their rears. And mm-hmm. they tells you, you're going to go steal something from Arasaka tech. And again, for somebody like me and Matt, I don't know about you, Matt. When I heard that I was, my jaw dropped. Like I, I stopped for a moment. I was like, Oh, 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 Arasaka in this game world is one of the big, big, yeah. big corporations. Their- Arasaka is, is the, probably the, if not the most powerful is close to the most powerful. They're in the top you can three. Make, you can make a case that, uh, Oh, but I can't remember the name of the one that basically runs the NUSA. Oh yeah. 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 I can't remember off the top of my head. Militech, 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 Militech and, uh, Arasaka and the one that does mostly bio stuff. Um, I want to say Bioware, Biotech. Bioware is not a company in this game. Bioware is a game <laughs> company, uh, but Biotechnica, Biotechnica. Yeah. Yeah. Those three companies are, if not, if no one of them can claim to be the most powerful, but the other two can't claim to be either because they're all pretty close. Yeah. Arasaka, however, Arasaka's edge is that their technology is the best. It, which of is the three of them. They all have sort of their own niche, but they all also they, they're forced to work together, but they also oppose each other any chance they get. And so as you're playing through this game, if you pay attention, like as you're walking through from your apartment, when you're walking through the streets, when you're in the cars or anything like that, pay attention to the radio and the TV shows. There's something that is being talked about that is very relevant here. Arasaka is working on something called, I believe it's, they just refer to it as the relic, right? It's or the save your soul, program. the save your soul program. And the idea is they're working on a way to make humanity immortal, truly immortal. And this is where it comes down to that, that sort of uh, root question of what are you, if not the sum of your memories, and if your memories can be altered, then what are you truly ever alive? And the idea is Arasaka is working on a way to take a person's neural network, their, what makes them or what they believe makes them, them, the essence of their soul and shove it into a giant digital archive so that they can live forever so that they could potentially be reborn in a vat grown human, which we know that they can do that. They've been working on because yeah, that's one now, of Biotechnica's things. Arasaka does not advertise this as that. No, they don't. Arasaka advertises this as a way for you to basically have 
your grandmother's memories around forever. Like you can, yep. you will have a digital version of your grandma that you can interact that you can with, go talk to and you like never really have to lose them. Yeah. They're dead, but you can still, you know, see them on Christmas sort of thing. But beyond that is everything Joe just talked about. And the way that the relic works in the second version, the version that the, you're being hired to go steal uh, from Arasaka tower. And it's, it's complicated as to how it got there, but basically um, Saburo Arasaka uh, the son of is Saburo's the father, right? Saburo's the father. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the son's name. I know well, it's Arasaka, obviously, but, Keep on, yeah. but his son has basically stolen it. And the relic 2.0 is way more advanced than the original relic because it does. It's built to do what Joe is talking about it. When it's put into a body, it's supposed to rewrite. No, Saburo's the, the son. Hanako is the, I think, or is Hanako's Who is? sister. Yarnobu, it's Yarnobu. Yarnobu, Yarnobu is the son. Saburo is the father. father. And Hanako is the sister. Hanako is the sister, yeah. yeah. And there are others. There's other relatives, but we don't see them. Yeah. Um, but the, the way the relic works is the, the new version will basically take over the brain in a body. It will get in there and rewrite the brain. It's designed to work on brains that are already stopped working. Dead bodies, essentially. Yeah. Dead bodies or bodies that are like have been rendered comatose, comatose or whatever. Yeah, where there's no brain. It hasn't brain. worked yet. They have not been able to get this thing to work. Uh, for reasons that are never really explained. Well, no, they, they do actually. No, no, they explain why it didn't work. They don't explain why Saburo put the personality that he put on this chip. Yeah, they did. Oh, they did. I did not see that part. Did so, they explain that in the corporate one? They do. So part of the reason. So let's. Let, this is no big surprise at this point. Is Johnny Silverhand, played by Keanu Reeves, is the mentality that's shoved onto this this version 1.0 chip. This is an old chip that had been around since uh, 2020 when the technology was just starting out, and he was being put onto it as a form of uh, torture. And testing because at this point, when the first chip was around, Johnny had discovered it. He was a runner and he was trying to take down Arasaka. This failed and he got captured. Rogue, his his lover and friend, got away, um, but he got captured and he got brought to the head of Arasaka where they decided to use him as their first human trial because they were not clear to do it and nobody was volunteering for it. But here's this. Ronan, here's this unaffiliated person who very clearly broke corporate law and broke into their assets and tried to destroy their things. And And nuked their tower. And nuked their tower. In this world, corporations get to meter out their own justice. It's not just given to the cops. The cops, again, are partially paid for by the corporations as a necessity to keep the low-level stuff done, but they handle their own stuff. So Johnny Silverhand was meant as an example and meant as the prime uh, sort of testing to prove that the technology worked. And trying to bring him back multiple times was uh, their version of trying to bring him back to torture him again. Because one of the things Johnny didn't do was tell him everything he knew. They didn't tell all the names of all the people involved. And that's actually very important because... Rogue's still alive. So are his old bandmates. So are his old contacts. Many of them are still out there. And the only reason Arasaka hasn't killed them yet is they don't know that they were involved. So Johnny still has enough of his personality left to not give it over when he's in the machine and they can't bring him back. They've tried multiple times to torture him into giving up the information. 
So that's where this sort of comes from. And this is the biggest bargaining chip that the son has against the father is that nobody knows this exists. And if the son goes public with this, it ruins his father, takes away corporate confidence in the shareholders and the board, and allows him to potentially replace his father as the head of Arisoka Corp. And as you Which can, is why he's trying to sell the chip to Netwatch. Exactly. And Netwatch is an, a corporate entity that's basically like every corporation pays Netwatch to be their the guardians of the web. People who keep the, the uh, artificial intelligence is at bay. And not only that, but so, also keep information from flowing freely, like in this case that Arasaka has a relic chip with Johnny Silverhand's personality on it, right? So they're 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 yep. they're almost like they're unethical hackers is the best way I can really put it. But that's that's where that comes from. So please continue. Basically, the story then sets up the heist, and the stuff you did before is all part of the heist. Like there's a part where the client tries to get you to betray your fixer, and you can decide: Do I tell the fixer that she did that? Or do I, you know, keep it to myself and possibly take her up on it? But as a result of that offer, she gives you her personal number. Mm-hmm. She's like, you can contact me through this, which comes into play when you're doing the heist. Uh, there's a lot to the heist, but when you get up to uh, Yoronobu's apartment, the, the the penthouse that he has, everything goes fine at first. Uh, you've you had a really good. Uh, recording of the room you've 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 scoped it out you know where the chip is and you get the chip and everything's going fine but then your nobu's coming up the elevator which he shouldn't be doing yep uh your 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 team's net runner couldn't track him and now suddenly he's about to walk in the room so you get into a, a concealed nook with your with jackie and you have to be like shh and your nobu his chief of security who is a big crazy cyborg um and, Saburo, and, rival, and rival of uh, Johnny Silverhand, which is yeah. kind of important, Adam Smasher. And uh, Saburo and his bodyguard uh, all show up. Like, Saburo comes in from the roof. And this is a big deal because Saburo does not leave Japan. Mm-hmm. Ever. He certainly doesn't come to Night City, which is a place he loathes ever since they nuked his building 50 years previously. And you see there's a confrontation. You're about to get caught. Because Saburo's bodyguard is scanning the room and he's going to find you. But Saburo tells him to leave before he's finished his scan. And the bodyguard, uh, who will be coming up later, it basically, and now I can't remember his name. He's really important. I'll, now, I'll keep on. I'll look it up. You'll look him up. Um, he basically is is forced to leave alongside with Adam Smasher. And Saburo and Yorinobu are left alone after a rather heated exchange where Yorinobu's like saying, you know, you, you've never cared about anybody. And, and, and Saburo's like, you know, this is our legacy and you're going to hand it over to these, these ignorant fools. Sundayu. Yeah. What? Sundayu Oda, I think. Oda. Okay. Uh, no, Oda's uh, Hanako's bodyguard. Oh, that's right. Huh. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah. Um. But after the two have this heated exchange, uh, Yorinobu just snaps and reaches out and strangles his father to death. Mm-hmm. And there he is with his dead father. And you just witnessed it. You know, you were just, you were hiding. You saw the whole thing. Now Yorinobu puts the uh, building on lockdown and tells everyone that their, his father was murdered, possibly with poison. When, you know, you know that he just killed the guy. Obviously, you can't just come out and say, no, Yorinobu did it because Why you're you there, there to steal yep. a chip. And nobody knows who the hell you are. Uh, so after they clear the room they all leave to, to go, you know, lock the building down. You come out and you're like, 
what do we do? Oh God, help us get out of here, Netrunner, who's back home. And she tries to, and she does unlock the building, but she gets caught by Arasaka's Netrunners because now they're looking. And so she gets fried. They just kill her. Yeah, because again, connecting to the web in this way, in this world, you are physically connecting yourself. Yeah, directly, morally linked. Yep. Yep. So they just straight up, they find her and kill her. Um, They make her brain explode. So now it's just you and Jackie trying to get out. Uh, You're crawling along the outside of the building and everything looks like it might be okay until armored drones show up and shoot you and you fall like 20 stories into another room below. Jackie gets badly hurt. Uh, You're not doing too great either. And the rest of this is a very tense situation of how do you get out of the building and you can fight your way out. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there's a lot of gunfire you can do if you want to, or you can actually sneak out. And if you, if you do it right, nobody will see you. Um, It's very hard to do. I do not recommend it for your first playthrough because it is, it is a nightmare. The story beat though, is that no matter which way you break it, Jackie winds up. dying. Yeah, absolutely. And but the thing for, is, is really, I, I do want to say this about that. The thing that's interesting is that Jackie's death, it's, it's very in keeping with Jackie. Yep. It, it is very much, it reveals so much about him and his character that it is kind of heartbreaking. Really? It is, it is a sad moment. It, if you went into this somehow, not knowing Jackie dies, it's pretty dry because he feels like he's going to be your friend through the whole game. And to be fair, they, they were very, they obfuscated that in the trailers pretty heavily. So if you go into this blind and it's your first playthrough, it, you weren't ex- it, most. I know I wasn't expecting it, but a lot of people just were not expecting that to happen. But there are two components that happen in this sequence. First is that the the original relic chip requires incredibly cold storage because of the nature of the chip. It runs hot. It's prototype tech. Um, it needs massive cooling or a heat sink to keep it from disintegrating. Essentially, when and if you don't have that, the only thing you can do is plug it into somebody because you their are a entire, giant heat sink. Yeah, their entire body will then serve to disperse the heat. And that's exactly what happens. So the uh, the containment unit shatters. It, it's no longer functional. The chip integrity is starting to degrade. And Jackie puts it in himself first. Uh, you go in and start making your way through. Nothing happens at this point. But then Jackie gets to the point where he's dying and he takes the chip out of himself and hands it to you because at this point, all he wants to happen is he wants you to complete the job. So one, he can be a legend and complete the job that, you know, they were set out to take, but two, so that you can live and so that you can complete the job. Because the other aspect of this that we didn't talk about is if you take a job and you don't complete it, not only is your reputation ruined, sometimes that will take a toll on your life. Possibly you're causing your your death as well, depending on what the job is. Yep. And so he gives it to you in a, you can still make it, leave me, you know, just tell mom I said hi, basically. And you go through the sequence and you wind up getting out. And, but you make it with such a, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. So the AI taxi that you take uh, as your getaway vehicle at the time, uh, has a protocol for medvac and it also has a protocol for dead body disposal um as you make it in there with jackie and he dies and he's dead and and and, and everything it asks you do you want us to use the executive package to get rid of the body and you can tell it yes or you can tell it to take it to his mother um and either or way, you can just say just just don't do anything yep yeah and that yeah. that changes things too there's it, it is one of those moments where this is it sets 
the tone. And we haven't technically we haven't even left Tutorial Island yet here, folks. Uh, this is just yep, the yep. first yep. sequence of the game that teaches you about the world. And yeah, it is definitely a very long intro sequence, it's like straight up. It's it's you can get up to like level 10 just yeah. doing stuff on intro island. But and it's sort of important because this is a very vast universe. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the time of this recording. This is probably going to have to be a part one of two. And oh, I, yeah, because we're almost done with like the first part and we haven't even gotten off. We yeah. haven't even gotten. I'm just going to I'm going to try to speed run this. You Jackie dies. Yep. Get to the fixer. The fixer is freaking out because you've killed Saburo Arasaka. You say, I didn't kill him, but that's not important. We got to get out of here. He's like, okay, you've got blood on your face. Go in the bathroom and clean that up. Whether or not you do go clean it up or you just go in there and get mad and punch the mirror. When you come out, his goon smashes you in the head and he shoots you. Yep. In the head. And yeah, in the head. You And the thing is, is that Remember what I told you about how the chip is supposed to only activate? You haven't told him that the chip is in your brain at this point. He doesn't no, know where it is. He doesn't He doesn't know that. But the chip is only supposed to activate when you flatline or you're already dead. You get shot in the head, you flatline, and the chip takes over. By and real- you go, in, you go into, a, into an image where you start seeing the life and memory of Johnny Silverhand. You get to, but- you get to experience his last moments. Yeah, the the last the day he decided to take on Arasaka, the day he blew up Arasaka Tower, you get to see all that. And when that's happening, the chip is repairing your the damage to your brain. But because this literally just happened, you come back as it's repairing your brain. You wake up as and and you see you get to talk with well, not at first. Uh, but at first, you you have exactly one moment of interchange between them in this moment in this yeah. early part. But you see Johnny Silverhand's last days. You you see that that day when he's going off to attack Arasaka. You see what a dick he is to his friends. Yeah. Uh, and then you wake up and you're in agonizing pain and you're crawling out of the dump the, the a landfill the, uh, the landfill that you, that he the fixer dumped your body in. And as you're dragging yourself out, the, he comes back because he's got the uh, bodyguard with him, the one that was almost caught you but then was forced to leave um and he's like here look this is this is the person who killed her i uh, killed saburo i'm i'm not fucking around here it is sorry that's gonna that's be our, our one yeah and he gets shot in the face by the bodyguard who yep. then takes your body to the car and then from there we'll have to move into next week yeah because uh, so just to, to sort of like pen it up this that is sort of the end of tutorial island right that is the end of the intro sequence, and it does three things if, that are very, very important. One is it introduces you to the city. Matt yes, and I have talked absolutely. about this. Matt and I have talked about this before. In Cyberpunk, Night City is in and of itself a very important character. It is a lore-rich city that has its own personality. It, it, Matt has said this, and I agree. It is a city designed to spit like chew you up and spit you out and it will change you this is why the nomads stay outside of it that's why you know street kids are the way they are and that's why the corpos are the way they are it has a toll on you by being into it and this starts to show that and it's and it's this this it introduces you to the idea of 
the hope of a person inside of Night City where they want a better life. And so they'll do whatever it takes. It introduces you to the gangs and the power dynamics. It introduces you to the corporations and the power dynamics, particularly uh, if you, depending on your origin and how you link up with folks, because it, it is different depending on what you choose to do and what your origin is on how you get this job. Um, it introduces your relationship and why Jackie is so important to you. Not just here's a character that's your best friend or here's a character that you tried to smuggle with and failed or here's a kid that you grew up on the streets with and got out of the gangs and you two have decided to go make a better life. It's more than that. He literally gives up his life to make sure you live. And now you have, even though you died, you're back. Now, what do you do with that? What do you do with the fragments of that life? Now you have to go and deal with the ramifications of that. You have to go with being a wanted criminal because the death of a, a huge corporate head is being pinned on you. Um, it is this massive sequence. And if this was a movie, this is the part where the title card would drop because now you're into it running. Now you have to figure out the mystery and move forward. And now you have to figure out what type of character you are going to be from this point. It is. Yeah, I used the term before I said that like certain things like the objective correlative, but if this story is a story of identity, which it absolutely is a story about how it's like, how much can you lose and still be you? How much can be replaced? And you're still you night city is that it is the place where change happens. Mm-hmm. It's the place where you lose everything all the time because night city takes and what it takes from you, you'll have to replace somehow. And that's, that is a big part of the story of this game. This game is about the people you meet, the, the, the relationships you forge and the things you lose in the process. It's, and it is really this moment where you, you start off really thinking we're going to do this. We're going to make it. There's a, we're going to become the, in the trailer. The thing in the trailer where they even say, we just hit the major leagues. We're going to be, and, we're going to be in the, the same league of Morgan Blackhand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and you might get there, but you don't get there the way you thought. But so, I, th- I yeah. think that's going to do it for us for this one. This is going to be part one. We'll come back next week. We'll do a part two and we'll go through the rest of the game uh, and sort of like how the story gets set up and how the story progresses, because it is it is a favorite of, of mine. I, I know it's a favorite of Matt's as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully absolutely. we can share that uh, that uh, that sort of love with you as far as this goes. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as a reminder, because this is relevant as well as to CD Projekt Red, but we stand with... All of the workers at uh, Activision Blizzard uh, in Raven and everywhere else in demanding change for a better tomorrow and a safer work environment. Um, let's get rid of crunch. Let's treat our employees better that make these games that we love so much because without them, these things would not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.